so I've been doing this podcast, and um, a lot of these different bands, a lot of these people that I talk to, they mention bands that are no longer playing, that aren't around anymore. Uh, one of the bands, one of the common names that I keep hearing is Rosemary's Babies, and I decided to go out and uh, try to track down somebody, see what I could find out about them, and I'm sitting here right now with JR, lead singer for Rosemary's Babies. How you doing, JR? I'm all right, thanks. Great. I want to talk to you about uh, the band when it started, because uh, um, whether you realize it or not, they had kind of a influence on, uh, I think, on hardcore punk, but there was a horror punk scene going on in uh, New Jersey that was sort of, uh, I guess you could say that the Misfits were the tent pole for it. They were the ones that kind of made it out of the, the, the state, but the undead... Uh, there was Lurch, Morning Noise, East Patterson, East Patterson Boys Choir, I'll throw in there. But this fast punk and Rosemary's Babies with the clockwork orange motifs and themes uh, played right into that. Uh, which, yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really thought about it at the time. Yeah, well, you guys made quite an impression. It was, uh, you know, really, really fast music. The music was good. And uh, compared to some other people that might have just been making some noise, <laughs> you guys actually seem to have uh, seem to have some talent. What? Um, how old were you when you started Rosemary's Babies? I think it uh, was 1980, so I was 15 years old. All right. And you said you were the youngest guy in the band. Yeah, I I was. I was generally young uh, on the scene. I don't remember too many people being younger than I at the time, you know, so I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't get to any shows mm -hmm. uh, until a little later relative to the others. I think my first hardcore show was in Clifton, Clifton High School, it was an AOD show. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a famous one. Was, was that also uh, uh, Suburbicide as well? Oh, Suburbicide was on that bill? I think so. All right. And, uh, so, um... Your influence was uh, the Misfits, Minor Threat. Uh, right. Well, you know, when I met Eric um, Stellman, he was just getting into punk music. Okay. You know, what we actually had in common was that we both listened to the Beatles. Uh-huh. I, uh, I really didn't listen to a lot of rock music, but I had just started listening to the Beatles mm -hmm. in the late 70s. And um, we had a mutual friend... Uh, Eric went to school with this guy who was also my neighbor and he brought me to Eric's house and I saw that he painted this really cool mural on the ceiling in his bedroom mm -hmm. of the Beatles and I saw that he had a significant talent I could perceive that easily but uh, I brought with me some punk tapes mm -hmm. I had some stuff hardcore Minor Threat, Bad Brains, SOA, stuff like that. Yeah. I loaned them to Eric, and um, and then he he called me a short time after and asked me if I wanted to uh, be in a band, you know. And um, uh, I, I can't say that I knew anything about the Misfits at that time. I really didn't even know who they were. Eric knew about them. Right. That was because you had mentioned earlier that you... Um, you went to a private school, 
And so you weren't really, you lived in Lodi, but you didn't really know anybody from Lodi. That's, that's true. I okay. knew very few people. Uh-huh. And, uh, right, so I was in the Passaic scene. We had Hitsville uh, to see live shows, and we had uh, Mickey Music to buy our records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Pete Birkenbush worked at Mickey Music, I think, in oh. Passaic. Uh, the guy from the Coffee Achievers uh, okay. went on to be in the... Teenage Sluts from Hell. <laughs> we'll talk about them later. Great name. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, as Rosemary's Babies, you guys uh, played a lot of gigs, played a lot of shows. A few shows, yeah. Uh-huh. I think we played, I, I, I know we played CBGBs, I, I seem to remember twice. There was the first night, the afternoon actually, where we uh, auditioned. And then I think there was a second show. And then there was a show in Philadelphia. There was one in Boston. Um, and okay. there was Great Gildersleeves where we opened for the Misfits, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big. It was a packed house. Over 2,000 people, I'd heard that. Many. Uh-huh. And so uh, so you and Eric kind of became... The, you guys started the band. That's that's correct. Right. And he chose... He changed his name to Erie Vaughn. That was... His, his thing. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. He was yeah no he was more into uh, theatrics. Theatrics and, of it. Yeah, yeah and the whole Which, misfits type of thing. But you guys had that clockwork orange motif. You had the derby hat. I got to give you mad credit for that, yeah. man. That was, I, I saw those pictures and I said, man, I would have climbed over broken glass to get to a Rosemary's <laughs> Baby show when I was 15 years old. That, that was the bit where I have to say that you know. I wasn't into theatrics at all, uh-huh. and uh, I used to walk around dressed like that. Uh-huh. That was my trip at the time, uh-huh. because I felt that I was little Alex. I felt that I was being mind-controlled, uh-huh. oppressed, you know, and I also felt that I I was pretty pretty aggressive, pretty violent, and, yeah. and uh, violently angry <laughs> is really the what I'm trying to say. That was a great outlet for I, I was, it. Yeah, I was pretty violently angry. I kept myself out of trouble, but I, I, I had a lot of strong feelings. Uh-huh. And I took it out in weightlifting and, and stuff like that. Uh, so I felt I was little Alex. And it was Eric, with his artistic eye, who said to me, why don't you come to a, you know, to a photo shoot dressed like that? Bring your... Because that when he met me, I, uh-huh. I was dressed like that. I walk over to his house dressed like that. Oh, uh, okay. You yeah. were identifying like that before you. I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying. Right. Before you were in a band, you were dressing like that. Exactly. I got you. Okay. Kind of like how I was carrying the novel around in high school. That's you it. You were wearing the derby hat and the eyelash and saying, "Don't fuck with me." <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, the Eighth Street Theater in New York City. Yes. On Monday nights, they would show. Um, Rocky Horror and people would be there dressed, you mm-hmm. know. And I would show up on Thursday nights for a Clockwork Orange dressed, you know, and nobody else was dressed. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! So, uh, that's the best. So there wasn't. Um, so you guys um, sort of rehearsed and sort of became this band, and um, you, you, you uh, was there was there touring in mind? Did you have any idea of what you were going to do with it, or was it just a Something to kind of go and make some noise. Well, Eric, again, 
and perhaps I should call him Erie from this point forward, <laughs> but uh, he was a bit more directed because he, he had been involved with the Misfits, taking mm -hmm. pictures for them. He knew them personally. He went to high school with uh, Doyle. and Okay. So I think he had a definite plan, mm -hmm. you see. And uh, he and Bob, uh, who called himself Postmortem, he played the bass. Okay. Uh, they... They being older than I, mm -hmm. and kind of linked in with this misfit scene, I'm sure they had a, a plan, you know. Oh, okay. And I, I just, I loved hardcore and brought my music, what I called my music, music I was into, sure, uh, to them, and they opened up the whole thing. Nice. And uh, the speed that the band sort of adopted—that was right out of the gate. Yeah, that was definitely my influence. I mean, uh, obviously the other guys were into it too. Sure. Uh, but I really pushed for it. Let's play as fast as we can. And those guys, to their credit, they wanted to rehearse all the time so it would be as tight as possible. Nice. You know, in order to play super fast, a lot of times drummers would cheat on the beat. Yeah. So it was kind of like... Punta, 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 punta. Yeah. You know, but Eric was playing full beats, you know, uh -huh. at, at, at tempos that were like... Yeah. You can't get a metronome to play that fast. No, no, yeah. no. That's amazing, though. Yeah. It, it was such... I mean, I, I just as a fan of the music back then, it was so exciting to see a band play that fast. AOD was the first time, or Bedlam, they were the first bands that I saw play that fast. Mm -hmm. And it just looked like they were mad at their instruments. That they were just <laughs> like, and the sound, though, the way they all were, like, so the stop and start, right. and then going into a slow part together, and there was just something really, right. really that was magical about right. it. You no know, other way to put it. It's great stuff. So, yeah, you know, I pushed for speed. I wanted to hear it, and then they were really good at it. So I was inspired, and I felt like, yeah, I want to do this, you know. I nice. want to stay here and be a part of this band. Uh-huh. And um, so was so. let's say um, after you guys have established yourselves, did you plan to do any touring or, or anything like that? Was it After we played a few shows, mm -hmm. and it took me a little bit of a... To find my feet, so to speak. Sure. Um, and I remember we played a, a show in Boston where I, I felt I had done pretty well and we got good feedback. Then there was some talk that we might tour with the Misfits. Mm -hmm. But before that could happen, we broke up. Oh, yeah. Well, then the Misfits broke up shortly after that for a little while. That's right. And so. Eric joined... Uh, with Samhain, right? Yeah, is that pronounced correctly? That's right. Yeah, I think Samhain. When you get the right pronunciation on that one, yeah, Samhain. I was there for that first show too, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. It's funny. I was looking at some pictures uh, online of uh, some old. I was I was at a Samhain show years ago. I I was at a Danzig show. Oh, yeah. I've kind of gone like over the years and followed, but no, I could certainly see that uh, that. Um, Rosemary's Babies was one of those bands that fed into that speed coming from a lot of those Jersey punk bands, AOD mm -hmm. and um, and Pleased Youth, and, uh, and like I said uh, before, I mentioned uh, Morning Noise. Uh, they were a big one. You guys uh, uh, used to go to, to visit them at their rehearsals, was right? That, yeah, uh -huh. there was there was some of that Party, <laughs> partying with uh, Tommy Kaprowski. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we. There are a lot of things like that where um, 
I don't really remember too specifically what yeah. happened. I remember moving around as a unit. We'd go and see people or whatever, uh, rehearsing in the in the garage, uh, Misfits house, yeah. you know, in Lodi, that kind of thing. I remember moving around uh, generally, but mm-hmm. there were some, some things that elude my memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just nice that you made it out in one piece, right? That's right. What about uh, dressing up as clockwork orange droogs and smashing mailboxes with Dave Schwartzman? <laughs> we did that. <laughs> According to Dave Schwartzman, you did. I deny it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I, you know, all right. Uh, Honestly. Here we go. <laughs> I, I was really, I was really into smashing things in general. Okay. I really like smashing things, including my own property. Uh-huh. You know, um, I, I, uh... I was kind of unbridled about it, yeah, man. And I would get as many people into it as I could. Mm-hmm. Like, I really liked smashing Christmas ornaments. That was cool. Oh, they, and, yeah, they're, uh, they're the best. Yeah. Smash. Yeah, they <laughs> crunch, the pop. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. It was good juvenile fun. And uh, that probably did happen. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was one that, st- <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that Dave wanted me to mention. He also... Um, he um, messaged me about Steve Cosmano, and um, I, I, I want to read this because I want to get it correctly. Uh, he said that uh, my old friend Steve Cosmano knew you very well and looked up to you and thought very highly of you, and he used to, even used to tell Dave that he thought you were Mensa material. Hmm. Super smart. Dave also said you were the guy nobody would fuck with them when you were around. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, like, that's like, there's a two part thing there, I guess. But, uh, but Steve Cosmano, um, uh, really, really, uh, a very dear friend, as you were telling me over dinner, uh, yes. quite, quite a long time you guys go back. Right. We were very good friends. We met at school. We were schoolmates. He got me into punk rock, you know. I, uh, again, I was mainly into uh, Baroque music. I listened to a lot of organ music. Yeah. Um, I started listening to organ music when I was about nine. I had started studying opera when I was eight. So wow. that second year of being immersed in music is when the music of the organ became mm-hmm. prominent for me. And um, uh, I have to say that I was kind of a neophyte when it came to pop music, rock music. I didn't know about a very, very much. But this, Steve brought it into my, brought punk into my life. There's something to be said for that, though, because you're, you're almost like a, like a clean slate. Yes. You don't have the, like, I have, like, a background of Kiss and Alice Cooper and all that other stuff and Journey and Ted Nugent all mixed in there and you were listening to classic music and yeah and, and yeah a little bit of Beatles toward the end when, once I hit yeah. the age of 12 I started listening a little uh huh <laughs> but you had a, a pretty pretty interesting musical background for such a young guy right. at a young age you were listening to some some very unusual and uh, intense stuff for a, for a young guy I guess or, yeah I do have uh, I do have strong memories of what it meant to me mm-hmm. that kind of music and um, what I thought it I know this might sound like a broad sweeping statement but what I thought it meant to the human race mm-hmm. that humans could create such sounds that especially with the organ that one individual 
uh, could raise his or her voice to such a level using this instrument. Mm -hmm. One person making so much sound was so much more impressive to me than a symphony orchestra. Wow. And you've pursued your, your passion for sound to this day in your, in yes. your education and uh, in your studies that you're endeavoring in. And you explained to me a little bit over dinner. Do you want to go into that a little bit at all? Uh, Explain what you're up to now, or uh, well, yes, you know, <laughs> okay. I call I'm my, switching around, but <laughs> I call myself an anthrocyberist. Mm -hmm. I um, I focus on um, anthropological examination of the cyber world and of technology, mm -hmm. and I look at anthropology within its technological dimensions. So, part of that work is archaeoacoustics, where I. Uh, I'm, I study uh, the resonances in buildings and the caves and caverns and the effects those resonances have on people's brains and, um, and culture, the development yeah. of culture. That is, that is uh, very, very fascinating what, what you're telling me and the fact that you're educated in it now and right. continuing it, it. It just really, that sounds like we could do another whole podcast on that alone. Just, just talk about that, but um, but I um, it's interesting that you have uh, never strayed from your your passion for acoustics from when you were very young, and now it's something that is uh, is still with you. Yes, so, it so is indeed. So that's great. Uh, another question from Dave from Orlando, as I'll call him, <laughs> Dave. Very yeah. influential uh, guy. Well, he said. Um, Rosemary's baby, Babies the middle of Rosemary's Babies was playing at Gildersleeves in New York City and Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones seemed to already be a fan of the band and was in the pit for your set. Were you friends? No. No? <laughs> I, I might cut that out or I might leave it in just to embarrass Dave. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was really... I was... And uh, enamored by what was happening that night, people were calling out, you know, titles of songs. Oh, you know, let's molest. Oh you know, man! And I looked down and I asked, "Do you know that song?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I, wow. was, I was pretty. You were you were caught up in it. Yeah, that's awesome though. And I mean, he's saying, I, I guess this guy from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones was having a good time that night. Oh, I, I see. Oh, I, that's cool. It was a, yeah, it was a, just a question that he had. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so, uh, what, what was it that, uh, broke up Rosemary's Babies? Well, there were a couple of things that were happening. I remember at one point, Eric said to me, look, we have to slow the music down. And I could tell by the way he said it that he was expecting me to object. But, you know, I was older by that point, too. Mm -hmm. I understood that. yeah there needed to be a change. We'd already done the speed thing, you know? Okay. And it was okay to move on. And I said, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, I see. That's all. But... Uh -huh. and, and that confounded him. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I think so. I um, wanted you to quit. <laughs> I think so. Ah. Um, there have been times he has said that he thought I didn't want to be in a band that really wasn't true. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel that I was done with the band, but I felt that 
there were interpersonal stressors that uh, I couldn't explain or fully understand. I mean, I just wanted to keep playing and keep growing. I really did. Yeah. But then it stopped. And it was actually, I think, Bob, post-mortem, who left first. That... I still don't know why. Mm -hmm. I asked him several times, but he doesn't even really remember why. So wow, uh, that was a disappointment to me. Actually, mm -hmm. I, I believe it or not, um, I looked up to those guys. They they were they were very um, disciplined about the playing. Yeah, and they did it the way I thought it should be done, and I respected that very much well that's I think that speaks to why the legacy is still there of Rosemary's Babies and people still pull out the record every once in a while or hit the YouTube link and listen to it and it's still out there and that like I said that was kind of the purpose of me rattling your cage to you know right. get, get you out and talk about it a little bit and uh, allow it to be a part of it and uh, you know reconnect you to the uh the scene. <laughs> yeah, I in that appreciate way, yeah. that. That's great. I, I'm flattered in many ways, believe it or not. Uh, as how flattered can I be years after the fact of doing something? Well, very flattered, actually, because yeah. I never thought that people would still be interested. You, you, you pull up to the toll plaza, and there's an AOD bumper sticker and a Rosemary's Babies bumper sticker. <laughs> and what that said to me was punk fucking rock. <laughs> But Rosemary's Babies was one of these bands that was a little bit of a mystery because they weren't around anymore. They left one uh, rare seven-inch right. or so, and uh, a lot of people saying, "Yeah, those guys were guys were all right, you know. The guys were cool guys." So that's basically it, man. But uh, you know, great. yeah. And um, you said you'd mentioned Septimus Orion. Did you oh. want to uh, talk about that at all, or? Uh, Septimus Orion is a project that I put together in uh, 2008, mm -hmm. and it was really inspired by um, by the leather scene okay. and the bondage and discipline scene, as well as freak shows, things okay. like that. And I thought that what we were looking at with the B and D scene uh, was binaries mm -hmm. uh, light dark good bad top bottom mm -hmm. <laughs> you know up or down right yeah you know and how, extremes right and how these binaries are resolved through role playing and, mm -hmm. and this whole realm of the forbidden you know and I kind of worked on on trying to express that a little bit sure okay and you said you were still working on that is that something that's still a side project of yours that you're yeah that's uh i just finished recording uh, a, a song uh-huh and i've started a new one and uh the song i just finished is called good night sweet boy mm -hmm. which is about um allison parker who was shot to death on air back in 2015 oh yeah yeah i thought that was a significant event in terms of you know pop culture history because it was I think it was streamed uh, rather it was it was posted the video was posted on Twitter mm -hmm. by the shooter there was a yeah a, a POV video that yeah oh god posted. yeah I remember that and then you see there was the Facebook murder 
mm-hmm. back in April. Yeah. And Allison's, fa- Allison's father came forward to say that he thought he w- it was a copycat. Ugh. Man. Well, so, uh, some pretty dark themes you deal with. <laughs> <laughs> well, some yeah, things no. don't change. Well, yeah, no, some things don't change, that's right. But that's that's great, though. Uh, I like that you're, um, you're still being creative. Uh, and it seems like what you're, you're devoting your life to is, is, uh, is, is gobbled up in creativity pretty much. I mean, with the, uh, I, again, I, uh, you'll have to forgive me, architect, no. Archaeoacoustics. Archaeoacoustics. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'll, I'll get that right. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, it's great to see that and, uh, to hear about that. And, um, thank you. And again, uh, JR, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and meet me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks again, man. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Ha, ha, ha.